Amen. Amen. Yeah, as a part of their elder application, uh, candidacy application, both um, Chris and Eugene Kwok had to um, turn in not only their testimonies, but um, the testimonies of their wives as well. And, and all four of them were just such beautiful, powerful uh, stories of the transforming work of God in, in um, their lives. And immediately after reading, I was like, man, I would love for all of them to share, but um, I know that, you know, It'd be difficult. So, um, but in a couple weeks, we'll be hearing from uh, from our other elder candidate, Eugene. So please do, uh, please do keep them in prayer um, in this process as we move towards being the church that the Lord is calling us to be. Um, a few, well, it was a few years ago, definitely. But when I was a, a second year in college, I was taking a public speaking class um, as part of the fulfillment of a prerequisite for um, the degree I was seeking. Take a public speaking class, and it was a first day of class. We all sat, about 12 of us sat in a circle in chairs, and each of us was given a fortune cookie. And when it was our turn, we had to wait, but when it was our turn, we'd have to open up the fortune cookie, and then we'd break it, and we'd pull out the fortune, we'd read it in front of the class, and we would read our fortune, and then we were given about 30 seconds to think about it, and then we had to give a five-minute speech based on that fortune. <laughs> so I remember my... Palms were sweaty, and I was nervous. Uh, I didn't throw up one M&M or anything like that, but I was really nervous about this. I opened it up. I pulled out my fortune, and it said, a good friend is worth its weight in gold. And so I thought about it for about 30 seconds, and then it was go time, and I had to give a speech. And so um, I didn't really know what to do, so I said, um, welcome to the Best Friend Awards ceremony. I am David Kim, and I'm giving an award to the best friend. And so I was presenting an award to my friend, and I listed the categories that made him uh, such a great friend. He was loyal. He was faithful. He was there. He put myself over himself and, and all these other things, and, and I, I, I did that speech. I, I was wondering, as I thought back to that point in time, if you were to think about the characteristics that make up a best friend in your mind, what would some of those characteristics be? If you were to give an award for the best friend, and then they were to ask, why would you give this award out? Like, why is this person a, a best friend to you? What would you say? I wonder if you could think about that for a second. Uh, think about... What are some of those things? Maybe if you're online, if you want to type that in your chat box, I think a best friend has these characteristics or these qualities. Um, that's what would make them a best friend. Think about that for a second. And then I want to ask you uh, probably a simpler question, but maybe an even more profound question. The next question I want to ask you is, do you have someone right now in your life that you would consider to be a best friend? Like someone who fits those categories. Not someone who was a best friend years ago, or my best friend when I was 12, or my best friend when I was in elementary school, or the first friend that I had, but, but right now. That best friend that you always think about, that you, you know, maybe on your, your password security question that says, who is your best, what's your best friend's first name? The person that you would type, are they still your best friend? Are, do they, you still have the kind of friendship that you once had, that deep in your heart, soul-touching, life-giving, makes me a better person, I would be lost without them kind of friendship. Do you have such a person in your life right now? Because if what Richard Godbeer, who's a history professor at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond says is true, over extensive years of research, what he says is today, those of us who are living today have a far lower view of friendship than people did 20, 30, 40 years ago. In fact, he says our view of friendships are so impoverished today that most of us don't know what it is to have that kind of a friend. Maybe it's because of social media and our ability to be extremely wide and not so deep that's kind of cheapened our view of friendship. Maybe it's because we've gotten so busy with life, 
so many other things taking precedence over our lives that the easiest thing to go is our relationships. Maybe because we focus so much on productivity because that's what our culture values. So much on being productive and getting more stuff done that the one thing that you can't quantify is the depth of your relationship with your friends. Maybe that's why things have gone. But the, the reality is, if that's the nature and the state of our relationships, the state of our friendships, then we will be missing out on one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us and one of the most life-giving aspects of life on planet Earth. That's true at a horizontal level, but if our view of friendship is that impoverished, then what it's also doing is it's causing us to miss out on one of the great gifts of the gospel, namely a friendship with Jesus. Today, I want to open the doors to what a friendship with Jesus could potentially look like and why he is the greatest friend and the best friend and the never-failing friend that all of us need and how in having Jesus as our friend, it could be a game-changer in every part of our lives. I want to read from John chapter 15, the last night of Jesus' life. This is after he has washed his disciples' feet. It is soon before he's going to be arrested. It is the night before Jesus was hung to die on a cross, and he's giving words of comfort to the disciples with whom he's lived and walked for the past three and a half years, and he's sharing these words. And in the midst of this discourse at the Mount of Olives called the Olivet Discourse, nestled amongst that um, are these words that Jesus gives to his disciples, and it teaches us some valuable lessons about the friendship that he offers to us. John chapter 15, we're going to read verses 9 through 17. This is God's word, the word of God for the people of God. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So even after I'm gone, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is God's word. Man, fascinating, heart-touching and life-giving, game-changing words that Jesus gives on the eve of his death. Jesus invites us into a relationship that's not just a master-servant, that's not just Lord and, uh, and, and, and subject, but it's a friendship relationship that Jesus invites us into, that he invites us to become a friend of his. Because this is not the default position of mankind, of humanity, of men and women, of, of any of us. That's not the default. The default is we're born into this world not as friends of Jesus, but as enemies of Jesus, as enemies of God. Because of our rebellion against him, it's only when we recognize our sinful condition and we lay down our arms and acknowledge our sinfulness that we can then, uh, as Jesus becomes our Savior, can he then become our friend. You see, in the gospel, we are promised several things. We're promised forgiveness, which is where many of us stop. 
We're also promised a family, which is where, you know, some of us continue into. But not only are we promised forgiveness in a family, but we're promised a friendship with Jesus that is unlike any other in this world. As I said, if we get it in our heart and if we get it into our bones, and I've just been, been trying to pray this into my heart this week, do I, do I know Jesus as this kind of a friend? Because the more I understand it, the more we get it, the more we grasp it, the more Jesus becomes a friend the way that he says he is. And it changes everything about the way that we live, about the way we see people, about our relationships as well. Is Jesus your friend? Because he invites us into that today. Three things that I want us to see about this uh, life-changing kind of relationship, friendship with Jesus. Here's the first thing. Okay? Uh, Jesus knew everything about you. Okay? He knew everything about you. And he still chose you to be his friend. Okay? Jesus knew everything about you. He knew the ups, the downs, the uglies, the goods, the bads, all of that stuff, your sins, your idiosyncrasies, the things that make you annoying, your pet peeves, the things that you, know, you think about, all of these things. Jesus knows all of these things. It's not just the great things, but he knows all of the awful things about you also, the things that other people see, and it causes them to not want to be your friend. Jesus sees all of those things, and yet he still chooses you to be his friend. That's crazy. That's the kind of friend that he is to you kind of friend he, he is to me. Um, years ago, when I was starting out in, in youth ministry, I had a, um, a few middle school students that uh, hung out together, but we were at a, a youth retreat. It was one of my first youth retreats, down, maybe like third or fourth youth retreat down here. But we are at a retreat, and we, we started playing this game. Our youth ministry played this at SNF last night called uh, Do You Love Your Neighbor? Okay, Do You Love Your Neighbor? Where everybody's sitting in a circle in a chair, and there's enough chairs for everybody except for one person. So one person is out, and they're in the middle, and you have to ask them a question, do you love your neighbor? It's the way you play the game. It's not that important. What's important is because I was an icebreaker at our retreat, we're trying to get to know people. And so when a person was in the middle, you'd, ask that, you'd have to ask them, what's your name? And they would say, my name is whatever it is, and then you'd ask them, what their best friend is, who their best friend is, and then they would say who their best friend is, and then the game would continue. And then the next round, somebody would get out, and the game would continue that way. So this particular uh, time we're playing at this retreat, uh, there was a young uh, middle school student, and his name was, uh, we'll, we'll, call him, we'll call him Johnny. Johnny was out, and so he was in the middle. Johnny was a middle schooler. He was uh, relatively new to our church, not that new, but he was kind of new, but he was new enough, or he was... You know, he, he, hadn't, he didn't have that many friends. He'd been there for, for a couple years, but didn't have that many friends. A lot of acquaintances, not many friends. And so the question they asked him was, what's your name? And he said, my name is Johnny. And they said, who's your best friend? And when they asked him who his best friend was, he called out the name of a person in, in, in the room. And we'll call, him, uh, we'll call him Justin. He said, my best friend is Justin. And so as it happens in this icebreaker, whenever your name is called, everybody will look at you, right? And they'll look at who you are and look at your reaction. So Justin just had this, he just kind of like had this small smile on his face, but everyone else was watching it, kind of knew the dynamic of this relationship and knew the dynamic of our small youth ministry at the time, that Justin had a lot of friends. He had a lot of friends. He was very popular. He had a lot of friends amongst his, his guys, and they loved hanging out with him. He had a lot of friends amongst the girls. The girls all wanted to be his friend. They all wanted, you know, they, they, all, they all liked him. He was committed to the Lord. He was committed to church. He's just a, he's just a good guy. Like even to this day, people who know him say, you know what, that guy is just a, he's a really good guy. He's a really good guy. And if he had to list 10 of his best friends within our church at the time, he would have had no problem filling up his top 10. And sadly, Johnny probably wouldn't have been one of them. That's the kind of dynamic of the relationships. As Johnny stands up there and he says, my name is Johnny and my best friend is Justin. Everyone thinks this is a little bit odd. 
It's not really his best friend, but oh well, we'll let him have his day. The game goes on and continues, and a couple rounds later, it's Justin who's left without a chair, and so he goes up to the front, and fresh in everybody's mind is the fact that, hey, Johnny said you his best friend. Okay, what are you going to do now? Like, what are you going to say about that? I think it, Justin could have done one of two things. He could have probably broken Johnny's heart by saying somebody else's name, who everyone would have believed and said, you know what, that's his best friend. Or he could have said, he could have lied, and everyone would have known he's lying, as he said, my best friend is Johnny, and everyone would have known. He just said that out of pity for him. And so he stands up there, and people are all thinking, what is he going to say? Who's his best friend going to be? Is he going to say, Jesus, what's he going to say? And my name is Justin. Justin, who's your best friend? And I remember thinking, this could potentially be a train wreck when it comes to little Johnny's heart. I was wondering, what could he possibly say to not make everybody think he's lying or to not make everybody think that he's just giving him a pity? But what, what could he possibly say? He went up there, and he said, my name is Justin. And Johnny is one of my best friends, is what he said. I was like, man, I don't know that there could have been a better, more apt answer. Because as I was looking around, nobody gave a pity look to Johnny. Nobody said, oh, you're lying. Everybody just looked and said, you know what? That's what Justin would do. And I remember feeling in my heart at that time, I was just feeling really happy. I had a smile on my face. I was just kind of looking around. I was like, man. That was a great answer. And I was looking around the room at all the people, and then I looked at Johnny. And as I think about it now, I cannot, I probably can't think of a handful of times where I saw a bigger smile on the face of a boy than I did that day when Justin said, Johnny is one of my best friends. Because something happens in the heart of a person when someone says, I know everything about you, but I still choose you. I still want you. I still consider you to be my friend. Jesus, of all the things that he could have said on the last night of his life, said, guys, I have called you friends. Because that's who you are. I want to be your friend. I'm inviting you into that. I'm inviting you into that kind of a relationship. Because you see, Jesus knows everything about us. He knows all of the nasty stuff that you don't tell your house church. He knows all the things that you don't tell your friends that you're thinking about them. He knows all the things that not even your small group leaders or your small group knows. He knows things that your parents don't know. He knows the things that you do when nobody's looking. He knows the secret thoughts that you have. He knows the things that make you feel so wicked. He knows the things that make you feel so ashamed. He knows the things that make you feel... He knows all of that. It's not a secret to him. And he still chooses you to be his friend. A few years ago when we were... It was before a, a youth meeting in the education building, before this building was, was built. Um, I, I remember walking into, into, um, into the building... And our, our youth are just really excited talking about something. And I was trying to figure out what's going on. Like, what are they so excited about? And one of the guys, one of the high school guys, um, he's like, hey, Pastor DL, uh, guess what? I was like, what? He's like, Ariana Grande's following me. I was like, okay, where, where is she? And he's like, no, she's following me on Instagram, on Instagram. And so I was like, oh, okay, I, didn't, I had no idea who she was. So I was like, who is Ariana Grande? And he said, she's, 
she's a really famous singer. So I was like, oh, okay, that's awesome. You know, I, and uh, so, so I asked him, how, how, do you, how do you know this person? He's like, oh, I don't know her. I was like, dude, that's awesome that she's following you then. So how did, how did that end up happening? You know, like, we say this all the time. Like, I could say, oh, yeah, I've got a friend, Jane Chang. Do you guys know Jane? No, I don't know. Who, who is she? She's a really famous singer. Or I know, um, I know uh, Chanu Park. Do you guys know Chanu? He's following me on Instagram. Who is he? He's a really famous singer. We all think people are really famous singers. Like, we know people that we think are really famous. So I'm like, who is Aria? Who is she? And why is she so famous? And he's like, well, she's this really famous singer. She used to, I, I forget what he said, but now she's on, she's on some show, like America's Got Talent, right? She's a judge. Or is that somebody else? I don't know. But she's famous, and she was famous back then, and, and high school dudes really liked her back then. And so he's like, hey, she's following me. And so she's following him. And I said, how did this end up happening? And he's like, oh, yeah, like, uh, she just randomly said, I'm going to pick somebody today. I'm going to follow them back on Instagram. And she picked me. So I was like, I don't know if that's something I'd be, like, that excited about, that she, like, randomly picked you. Like, she just, like, closed her eyes and picked someone that happened to be your name. And, and, but he was so excited about that, so excited that she happened to choose him without knowing anything about him. I don't know if that's a big deal to you, but get this. Jesus, we sang about him. The name above all names. He's worthy of all of our praise. Jesus chose you. Knowing everything about you, not like randomly, hey, let me choose Gianna. Let me choose Joe. He didn't say that. He said, knowing everything about them. Do you remember what Jesus is talking to disciples here? Three and a half years ago, he was walking along the, the seaside in Galilee, and he sees a fisherman that everybody else said, this guy's dumb. He's stupid. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't even talk normally. He's, a, he's kind of like a, a, a bumpkin. And he says, Peter, I choose you. Come and follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of man. I've got a destiny for you. I've got a purpose for you. I'm going to change the world through you. He chose Peter, knowing everything about him. And he says, come, I want you to be my friend. Peter's like, if you knew who I was, like sometimes I say stupid things. Sometimes I do dumb things. Sometimes I think I'm better than I am. I'm annoying. Like people who hang out with me, if you can choose 11 other people, they're going to be annoyed to death with me. You still want me? Jesus, knowing everything about him, chose him to be in his inner circle of friends. It was uh, Matthew, a tax collector, who was despised by everybody else. Nobody gave him the time of day. Nobody gave him a, a look. If you've seen the movie Chosen, I talked about this last Friday. If you've seen the movie Chosen, you've seen. No one wanted to associate with tax collectors, but Jesus said, leave all of that and be with me because I want you. I don't think there was any promise that Jesus gave to Matthew that made Matthew want to come. It was just the fact that somebody who knew him chose him and said, come and be with me that made Matthew leave everything and said, you know what? I'm hitching my wagon to you. Jesus knows you, and he chooses you knowing everything that he knew about you. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I call you friend. Think about this. After Jesus called them three and a half years earlier, they're like, Jesus, in their mind, you don't know anything about us. You know, I'm a fisher, you know, I'm a tax collector. that's all you know. But after three and a half years of living together with them, 
That's like going through college with Jesus as your permanent roommate. Like everywhere you go, he's with you. After three and a half years, they're probably thinking, gosh, Jesus knows all the junk about me, all the nastiness about me, all of the ways in which I failed him, all the stupid things I said, the dumb arguments we had, the times where we said who's going to be better and we didn't think Jesus was listening, but he heard. He knows all of that stuff. And after all of that, Jesus says, I've called you friends. That's crazy. That Jesus called you his friend when he saw you, when he bought you, when he gave his life for you. He called you friend. And, 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 and now, knowing all that he knows about you, not only did he choose you first before you chose him, but he chose you, chooses you still. Not only did he love you first, but he loves you still, even after all the ways in which we promised to follow him and failed him. This is Jesus. He's a friend unlike any other. And what you need to understand is that Jesus is not just the idea of a friend. Okay, you can read history books and you can read about, oh, what a great friend Abraham Lincoln was or what a great friend Winston Churchill was or what a great friend Pee Wee Reese was to Jackie Robinson. All these people, you can read about that and you can see these people embody friendship. The idea of friendship is encapsulated in this man. That's not what Jesus is. What Jesus offers to you is not the idea of a friend and, hey, here's the ideal you can strive to, so be that friend to other people. He actually wants to be your friend. Can you, can, you, <laughs> can you wrap your mind around that? He doesn't just embody an idea of friendship. He wants to be Nathaniel's friend. He wants to be Hannah's friend. He wants to be Dan's friend. He wants to be Ashley's friend. He wants to be your literal friend. If we get this, if we become a friend to Jesus in this way, it is absolutely, utterly life-transforming. First thing we see, that Jesus knew everything about you, but he still chose you. The second thing that we see is that Jesus didn't choose you because he needed you. He chose you because he loves you. Okay, some of us think that Jesus chose us because of the good that we can do for him, because we serve our youth ministry, because I'm part of SLT, because I'm a house church shepherd. If I wasn't that, then he wouldn't love me. He wouldn't care for me. He wouldn't choose me. Jesus says, and this is, this is huge, he says in verse, uh, verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Okay, Jesus says, yeah, you used to be a servant in certain ways. Like you serve the purposes of God, you do. But now I don't just call you servant. That's not my deepest designation of you. Your deepest con uh, relationship with me is that you're my friend. Like you're my friend. You're st you still serve him. Yeah, you do. He's still Lord. You do. He is. In the same way that if your friend became the king or the president or the queen, you're still their friend, but you're still subject to what they ask you to do. Like we sing that, used to sing this song, you're my friend and you are my brother, even though you are a king. 
You're my friend and you are my brother, even though you are a king. King Jesus says, you're my friend. But you know, it wouldn't be a bad thing to be called the servant of Jesus, right? Last week we talked about how we get to be used by God as instruments in his great plan for his church and for his world. To be a servant of God is a huge thing. I was watching a football game last week on Thursday night, first NFL game of the year. It was the Buccaneers against the Cowboys. Yeah, football season is here. Watching this game, it was a really exciting game. Watching it with, uh, with my family and then another, another person from our church was there also. And during a commercial, commercial came and commercial went and they queued back and it showed some water boy handing out water to these football players. And the person who's watching the game with us said, man, I would love to pass out water to Tom Brady. I would love to give Gatorade or water to Tom Brady. I was like, yeah, that would be quite an honor, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be great? What if for... What if for a year, one football season, you could give water to Tom Brady? Wouldn't that be cool? Like maybe he'd, maybe he'd I don't know, at the end of the year, he'd, he'd throw a party and invite you to come and give you good food, or maybe he'd give you a ride in his car, or I don't know, he'll give you some Uggs. I don't know what he would do, but after a year of doing that, it's like, hey, this is really cool. And then he's like, hey, I want you to come back and be my servant again. Not that he calls you a servant, but I'd like for you to do that again a second year, and then a third year, and then another half year and then he retires, but you did that for three and a half years and you're like, man, guys, the greatest joy in my life was being Tom Brady's servant. And Tom, he, he interrupts you and he says, no, 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 you're not just my servant anymore. You're my friend. Consider you my friend. You imagine that you're able to serve Jesus for all these years. I served him as my father. I served him as my king. I served him as my, not Jesus as your father, God as father. I served Jesus as my friend, as my, all these things. And at the end of it all, you say, what an honor it was just to be a servant of Jesus. And he says, I don't call you servant anymore. Tim, you're my friend, what he says calls us friend. You can be a friend of Jesus. You see, he chose you not because he needed you. He actually chose you because he loves you, because he wants you, not because he needs you. There's a, there's a particular gentleman in our church. Uh, he's an adult, and whenever he walks around, um, people, young adults, college students from our Harvest congregation they run and they hide. They're afraid of him. Because whenever he comes around, usually in their mind he says, okay, one, two, three, four, you four guys, I need you to help me unload a truck of like a million pounds of horse manure or something like that. So whenever he calls them, they're like, oh my gosh, you, you got to hide. We're about to, we're about to get called. We're about to get chosen. And when they get chosen, they think it's not because he loves us, not because he wants to give us goodies, not because he wants to give us treats but because he needs us to do something. That's not our Jesus. He doesn't choose you because he needs you. He chooses you because he loves you. 
says, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my Father made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus wants to be your friend. He says at the beginning of this, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus is like, listen, remain in my love. I'm going to die in a few hours, but remain in my love. What is he saying? I've called you friends, but I'm not just calling you to be a friend for one more night and tomorrow morning. I'm calling you, my friends, for life, my best friends forever. You see, one of the other reasons why Jesus is the best friend that we could ever have is because if we're honest with ourselves, we're honest with each other. Most of the friendships that we have in this life aren't forever friendships. Can we be honest? Most of them are just seasonal. They last for a season. Your best friend in elementary school, most likely not your best friend now. Your best friend when you stood in his or her wedding, maybe not as close with them as you once thought you were or wish you could be. Your friends in college, the guys that you live with, the ladies that you live with, maybe not as close as you once thought you were. The reality is like friendships come and go. That's just the nature of life. And to not make it completely utilitarian, but to make it a little bit utilitarian, the reality is that a lot of friendships are needed during certain periods of life. That's just what they are. You need me, I need you. We need each other during this time. And now that as we grow older, Life changes, we change. I don't need you as much because now I'm married or I don't need you as much because now I've got this or now that, now that I've gone on to a different stage of life, I've made new friends and we don't need each other the way that we used to. That's just the reality of life. Sometimes it can be sad and it's especially sad if we don't have any other friend like the one that we just feel like we've lost. That's why when you know Jesus as a friend, a forever friend, it's going to change everything about the way that you live and see people and see relationships. You know, it's interesting, that idea of seasonal friends. It really kind of hit home to me as I was watching Toy Story 2, you know, that great series of movies about friendship. Even amongst toys, friendships are real. And even when you're watching movies about toys, they can be emotional too. Do you remember in Toy Story 2, I, I don't know the context of it, but it's a beautiful and sad song that a girl named Jessie, a toy named Jessie sings. Jessie is in that same package with the prospector, the evil wicked one, and, and Woody. They're the kind of cowboy, cowgirl team of people who live in the wild, wild west, and that's the toys. And, and Woody's about to say goodbye to Andy. It's supposed to do, I forgot what they're going to do, but he's just going on and on and on to Jessie, the cowgirl, about how wonderful an owner Andy is. And Jessie is cynical because she's been there, done that, been hurt, and has a T-shirt to, to show for it. She says, I once had somebody like Andy in my life. Her name was Emily. Emily was everything to me. And then she starts singing this beautiful song, when somebody loves you. I'm just kidding. I'm not sure if that's how, Maybe that's how it goes. When someone loves you, everything is beautiful. Everything is wonderful. And 
And that's how it was between Emily and Jesse. Everything was wonderful. They went everywhere together. We loved each other. When she was happy, I was happy. When she was sad, I was there to wipe her tears. We were there for each other. When someone loves you, everything is wonderful. But then the second verse comes, and with the second verse comes change. Now, Jesse has been thrown underneath Emily's bed. And from underneath the bed, the vantage point, you see Emily. She's there, but she's no longer friends with Jesse the way that Jesse wished that she was, the way that they were. She's talking on the phone, yapping it up with her new friends. She's getting her nails done with her new friends. She's moved on. She's changed because friendships so often are seasonal. The sad chorus comes on again. You start crying on your keyboard as you're watching it on YouTube today because you're going to probably do that later. And then the third verse comes around. Third verse comes around, and Emily grabs Jesse from under the bed, and Jesse is excited. Finally, our friendship is going to be restored only to be placed in a dark box and donated to other kids who need the friendship of somebody like Jesse. I was watching that, and I was like, man, it's just a toy, <laughs> but it's still so sad. Isn't that how friendships can be in this world and in this life? They're there for certain seasons, and they're gifts for certain seasons. Rare are the friendships that will last longer, but they're beautiful when you find them. They're amazing when you find them. What Jesus is saying is I'm going to be that forever friend. Maybe you've thrown me underneath the bed, but I will still be here for you. Maybe you tried to give me away to somebody else so that you wouldn't have anything to do with me. I will still be there for you. No matter how much you change and how many other friends you go to and how much you leave me behind, I will be a faithful friend and I will never leave you. And maybe for some of you today, that's where you are. You feel like all of your relationships have failed you in life. You feel like the people that you trusted the most have left you. Jesus says, I will be here forever. I have chosen you, and I will not leave you, nor will I forsake you. Guys, when you get Jesus as your friend, not the idea of a friend like Jesus, but Jesus, your friend, it is utterly and completely game-changing for you. Second thing we see, he didn't choose you because he needs you. He chooses you because he loves you. And the last thing that we see, okay, last thing we see is that when Jesus is your friend, okay, when Jesus is your friend, you become the friend that others need. Okay? When Jesus becomes your friend, can you become friends with Jesus? You begin to commune with you. You begin to have a relationship with you. You begin to have Jesus as your deepest friend, your lifelong companion, then your life begins to change and you become the friend that other people need. Because there are three things, three changes that Jesus brings about in your life, three things that Jesus does in you, three gifts that Jesus gives to you by virtue of his friendship with you that are things that other people need. He gives you love, he gives you fruit, and he gives you the ear of the Father. Okay? He gives you love, fruit, and the Father's ear. What, what, what does that mean? 
verse, verse 9, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. When somebody loves you, everything is beautiful. When you know that you're loved, life, though it's difficult, becomes a little bit more bearable. When somebody loves you, everything is beautiful. And Jesus says, hey, I love you. Well, how do you love me, Jesus? How do you love me? How are you loving me right now? Here's, here's what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. And think about how much the Father in heaven loves Jesus. From eternity past to infinity and beyond, Jesus knew intimacy with the Father. Father loved his son like no father could ever love their son. Even to the, like he couldn't contain that love that when Jesus was being baptized, it says the heavens opened up. I don't know why the heavens had to open up. And a voice from heaven came down and he said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And all those around heard that voice from heaven. I don't know why he had to do it that way. Why did the heavens have to be ripped open? God could see. Why did it have to be ripped open? They could hear God apart from that happening. For whatever reason, God just wanted an unhindered look at his son. Maybe I don't know what it was. But it was a kind of love that is not afraid to make a fool of themselves in front of all these people. To yell, that's my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. The father loves his son in that way. And Jesus says, in that way, I love you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not afraid to declare it to people. I'm not afraid to let everybody know how much I love you. But do you know that love? Do you know how much I love you? As my daddy, my father loves me. So I have loved you with an infinite, eternal, everlasting, never failing, never fading, never ending love. That's the fountain of love that's being poured into your heart. It's like sitting under a waterfall and that love is just, just over you, never ending. And you're like, you know, you ever sit under a waterfall? Neither have I, but I sat under a, a waterfall at a pool at a hotel, and it's like gushing all over you, and you're like, you're trying to breathe, and you're like, <laughs> you're trying to breathe, and the water's like flooding down over you. That's the love of God, a love so uncontainable I can hardly breathe. I don't know, maybe. That kind of a love for you that he has. And he says, if you know that love, see, here's a problem. Okay, here's a problem. For those of us who've got issues in our friendships, those of you who feel like, man, you know what? I'm constantly, like, none of my friends love me. My friends don't like me. My friends only love me for a certain season, and then they reject me. You understand that, right? And you're so upset, and you're so bitter at these friends because they no longer give you what you want. See, part of the challenge is that our friends were never meant to give us those things that only God could give to us. 
The challenge for a lot of us is we're looking for our friend love to satisfy a God love that no friend love could ever satisfy. And because we don't have that overwhelming love, we're looking for other people, and we're not trying to be a friend that loves them, we're trying to be a friend that needs them. And after a while, that gets really hard to be a friend to somebody like that. When we're constantly needy, hey, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need your affection, I need your love, I need you to be my friend. After a while, that gets tiring because your friend was never meant to be all that for you. But there is a love. How are we supposed to go and love each other, Jesus? Like, I don't like these guys. These guys are clowns. These 12 disciples, these guys are weird. They're, they're, they're foolish. They're not lovable. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Then he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. The only way you're going to be able to be the friend that your friends need is if you become friends with me and you're receiving that love that I'm giving to you that is flowing from a never-ending stream that's coming from my Father's love in me. The first thing that Jesus' friendship with him does that changes our world is that he gives you love that you need to give to other people. That's the first thing. Second thing he does is he gives you the ability to produce fruit. Okay. Jesus says in verse, uh, uh, verse 15, I no longer call you servants. Servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I called you friend. Then he says in verse 16, you ain't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying, the reason I chose you to be my friend was, yeah, I love you. Yeah, I want you. But I love you too much to let you stay that way. Right? You've heard that before. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. That's what a good friend does, right? That's what friends do. Good friends will call out the junk in your life. Good friends will call out the sin in your life. Good friends will see the blind spots in you, and they'll say, hey, you know what? The way that you talked to that person wasn't right. Hey, you know what? The way that you looked at that person, the way that you're snarling at them, the way that you talked about them is probably gossiping. You should probably curb that. Hey, what you said was a little bit misogynistic and a little bit chauvinistic. You probably shouldn't have said that. Good friends uh, will call each other out and not let them stay in the place they were when those friendships were first formed. Good friends will call each other out so that we bear fruit and become more like Jesus. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, I didn't just call you to be my friend so that you could have this kumbaya party and be happy with yourselves. I called you my friend so that you could go and bear fruit. And apart from relationship with me, you can't do that. He said that in verse 5, chapter 15. We didn't read it, but Jesus says, you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The reason why some of us are having such a hard time loving our friends, our family members, our house church members, our fellow friends, youth students, our parents, because we're not intimately involved in a friendship with Jesus right now. We could say, yeah, he's my friend, but at a tangible, practical, day-to-day -day level, we've missed out on that friendship, the kind of friendship that's going to challenge you and me to be everything that we were called to be. 
Second thing that we see, last thing that we see that Jesus gives to us is he gives us the ear, the attention of the Father. It says, then the Father, verse 16. End of verse 16, he says, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Sometimes when my friends are playing and they've got, I'm not, not my friends, but my kids are playing and they've got friends over, I don't know. I, I, this, is, this maybe doesn't happen this way, but maybe you, you, you're playing with your friends and, and you've got to go somewhere and you've got to leave your friends behind and uh, they're at your house. I don't know. Silly, silly picture. But you've got to go to piano lessons and your friends are just hanging out waiting for their ride to pick them up and they're hanging out with your daddy. And your friend's like, oh, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go. And it's like, it's okay. It's okay. If you need anything, just ask my dad. He'll give you whatever you want. In a vacuum, no, but because you are my child's friend. I'll give you whatever you want out of my love for my child. Give you whatever you want. My food is your food. My home is your home. My everything is your everything because you're a friend of my kid. That's what Jesus is saying here. As you grow in your friendship with Jesus, the more you know the heart of your friend, you know, like the more you hang out with people, the more friends begin to become like one another. They begin to finish each other's sandwiches and sentences, and they do all of the things that friends do. They're like two souls in one body. And the more you grow in your friendship with Jesus, the more you know him, the more you'll be able to feel his heart and think his thoughts, and the more you'll be able to ask the kind of things that Jesus would ask from his father in prayer, the more that will be given to you. When you become a friend who prays, man, that's the most valuable kind of friend. That's the kind of friend that everybody needs. Not a friend who's just going to tell you what they think or a friend who's going to do what they can do, but a friend who says, you know what? When I don't know what to do, I'm going to ask God to help you. I'm going to ask God to come into your situation. And when they begin to do that and, and, and you begin to do that and, and your prayers begin to get answered, man, you become the, the kind of friend that everybody needs. You become the best friend. Because when you become friends with Jesus, he gives you love and he allows you to bear fruit and he gives you access to the heart and the ear and the treasures of his Father in heaven. That's the kind of friend that this world needs. It's countercultural because that's the kind of friend that will be forever. That won't just be a seasonal friend, but be a perennial friend. The kind of friend that you would give, the kind of friend that's worth its weight in gold. Because how do you know? How do you know how much something is worth? You know how much it's worth by how much you're willing to pay for it. I, I, I've, heard this, I've heard this recently. As people have been talking about this new FA joint somewhere. Like, oh my gosh, it's like the best. It's like the best. And people are saying, like, Orlando is, is known for its pho, but this place is really good. How good is it? Maybe it's not, maybe it's not pho. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe it's like chocolate eclairs or, I don't know, bacon-filled donuts or that new ice cream. Oh my gosh, there's that new ice cream and it's whatever it is. And, and people are like, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it's that good. How good is it? Well, I would drive, I would drive all the way to Georgia to get it, they say. Well, what is, the, what is the ultimate in how good something is? Oh, my gosh. People say something like, I would give, my, I would give, I would give one arm in order to have that ice cream. Well, that's pretty good. And then you know that something is really good when they say, you know what? 
it is to die for. <laughs> Sometimes you might see this, right, on social media. You see this, like, picture of some kind of food, like a cake or something, and the caption is very simple, to die for. You would die for that cake? That must be pretty valuable cake. How much does Jesus value friendship with you, with me? How much does he love you? He didn't need you, remember? He loves you. How much does he love you? Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Our friend Jesus. Well, here, Jesus, last night of his life, saying, guys, um, no love is greater than this. Nobody has love that's deeper than this, that he, he lays down his life for his friends. Disciples were like, that's cool. Nobody's done that for me. Well, the next day they would see that this is what it means to be a friend. This is what it means to love. This is what it means to be a friend of God. They would realize that Jesus indeed epitomized this kind of love when he laid down his life his friends you know you know stories where people have laid down their lives for their friends but Jesus is different because every other friend when they laid down their life laid down their life doing something that was going to happen anyways they were all going to die the wages of sin is death that's just life in this broken world they were all going to die they were just cashing in their life chips a little bit earlier the reason why Jesus' love is greater than anyone else and why his love laying down his life is greater than anyone else is because Jesus was the only one who never had to die. Jesus didn't have to die, but he left the realm of glory where he would live forever, and he came into this finite world, wrapped himself in finite flesh and blood and bones and a pulsing heart, subjected himself to the every instinct of his survival, was completely dependent upon a teenage girl named Mary born to die when death was the one thing that God did not need to do. But God came into the world to die in order that you and I would know that there is no greater love than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And that's who we are. We accept his invitation he holds out his nail-pierced hands and says, will you be a friend to me? Let's pray together. Let's take a minute to pray to the Lord. Um, just a few moments that we have remaining before we sing a song. Maybe you wanted to be a friend of Jesus when you realized that first time. Do you remember that first time you realized how much he loved you? When you thought about the cross... You thought about your unworthiness and you thought about his supreme worth and that he would do that for you and you said, Jesus, I want you in my life. Maybe since that time you've forgotten the love of God. Maybe since that time you've drifted and strayed away from friendship with Jesus. It doesn't take you saying, I need to be a better friend. What it takes is for you to get a better glimpse better glimpse of the love of God. So as we pray for a few moments, 
Let's pray. Jesus, help me once again come back to your heart. Help me to once again see how much you love me. Help me once again to come back to the heart of it all. Help me once again to be your friend. Beginning now that I would cultivate this friendship with Jesus. Can we pray for a minute together like that? Maybe it's a prayer of repentance for walking away from Jesus. You may have walked away, but as soon as you turn around, he's right there. He hasn't left you. Maybe it's a prayer that you'd go deeper in your friendship with Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you've been holding hands with Jesus walking and you're so thankful. Just want to give thanks to him. Let's pray for half a minute together to our never failing, never ending, never, never leave us, friend. Let's come once again to the heart of Jesus, our truest friend. Let's pray for half a minute, then I'll pray for us. Father, thank you for giving us the friend that we all need when you gave your son, Jesus. Leaving the realm of glory, entering the realm of the dead in order that we might find the way to the Father, might find a way to the land of the living. Thank you for the hope that you give. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being our forever friend. We love you because you've loved us chose us. You gave yourself for us. You continue to do that day by day by day. Thank you so much. Thank you for being our friend. In Jesus' name we pray.